0: So know that all of you are in our prayers as we face one of the most difficult times um, ever Um, to our faith, our culture, our way of life, our families, coronavirus, the sicknesses, the illnesses that I'm hearing about in so many families seem to be unprecedented. The worldwide tragedies that we are facing seem to be unprecedented. The threats of Islam now due to faulty decisions of our government and China seem to be posing threats unparalleled in recent times. And all of this, I keep going back to the Old Testament, how the Lord allowed the Jews to follow their free will And with that reaps the consequences. A lot of what we are reaping, or sowing, I should say, is based on not following these commandments. You reap what you sow. And when we don't follow the commandments of God, our suffering is not to be blamed on God. We are not to, as a human race, say, where is God? And that's one of the most Famous questions. In fact, we just finished filming an EWTN episode um, uh, on suffering and why a good and loving God would allow suffering. These will be airing in September. And we address that question. But one of the big parts to that is the fact that God doesn't trump our free will. When we choose to do things apart from Him, God honors that. The problem is, it gets us in one big mess. And one of the things that we have to do is what God just, Jesus just talked about in the scripture passage, follow the commandments. We don't see that today as anything important. What's more important? Being woke and and being politically correct. That's more important today than following the commandments. It seems as such, and we will reap what we sow. So let's look at what's happening here in the passage. The scribes are testing Jesus to see if he would show any disregard to the law of Moses. This is one of the things they wanted to do. Now, some laws are regarding God and some were regarding men. Even our Ten Commandments are split that way. The first three commandments are about God. The other seven are about our neighbor. Now, here's what's interesting is they were always kept separate. Always, always, always. Now, the Ten Commandments and the commandments given by God here are not just Christian. The commandments are recognized as the moral foundation of Judaism, Christianity, even, believe it or not, Islam, if they follow it in the right way. This is interesting. They come from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. This is where we get the Ten Commandments. But both don't clarify how the commandments are divided by number. There's actually 14, 14 imperatives if you add them all up. It's actually 14. We put them into order. Catholics follow St. Augustine and his numbering. The Protestants follow the Greek fathers and their numbering. Okay. These two forms are slightly different numbered. But ours, we like Catholics being accused of taking out, you shall not have graven images, is included for us in the first commandment. You don't worship any other gods before our God. That's where you would not have idols that you would worship, which we don't do, but is exactly though the same substance between both sets of commandments. They're linked together to form a whole. This is important. The catechism tells us, now this is what's scary. Did you know the catechism says, if you break one of the commandments, you break them all. Whoa, that's a wake up. Jesus now frees people from the, the burdensome Jewish laws. The 613 of them about washing and those kinds of things. So instead, what did Jesus do? Okay, he narrowed it down to two. Now, instead of promoting one command over the other, he did this. Instead of saying, okay, the 613 laws go in this order. One, two, three, four, all the way to 613. No. He defined the law in his essence. The whole essence of the law. Love God with everything you have. Mind, soul, body, strength. And your neighbor as yourself. Now... No one, until Jesus, had ever put those two together. They were always separate. Together, he made them one, really. And I always say, if you read the Church Fathers, today we celebrate St. Bernard, a doctor of the church. What does a doctor of the church mean? A doctor of the church means you can be guaranteed that you can read this saint's writings and be guided in the trueness of the faith. It's a doctor, not a physician or a medical doctor. It's a doctor of the soul. And so we know that this gift of St. Bernard, he did that. And what he also talked about was these two commandments could be wrapped up into one. And I've always said this, do the will of God. That is our calling in life. Now it's one of the hardest. It is. So how do we know this? Here's what Jesus did. Now, in the Old Testament, there's something called the Shema or Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. This creed of Judaism comes from Deuteronomy and it was their basis. When Jesus spoke about the first commandment, this would have made sense when he quoted it. The first commandment, every devout Jew would have agreed with him. We agree with you, Mr. Jesus. Every single Jew would have said that. Yes, the first great commandment is love God and God alone. But then Jesus comes in and he does something. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This comes from Leviticus 19.18. Now, Jesus did something though, something different. In the original context, it has to do with the fellow Jew. Love your neighbor meant love your fellow Jew but they hated their enemies. So Jesus changed this. When the Jews said, love your neighbor to them, being only fellow Jews, they hated Gentiles. So it would not have included Gentiles whom they could hate legally. But Jesus quoted it now and removed that. And so he took an old law saying, love your neighbor and gave it a new meaning, meaning everyone not just your Jewish neighbor. So religion to Jesus, and everybody always says this, I don't need religion. Religion's actually under a virtue. Religion is the virtue of justice because in religion, you're giving someone their due. Who? God. What's his due? Your worship. That's what religion is. Religion is actually a virtue. Oh, I don't need religion. Yes, you do. Because the virtue of religion is justice you owe to God your due worship. Now, religion to Jesus was loving God and loving your fellow man. So the only way which a man can prove that he loves God is by showing that he loves his neighbor. Why? This is mercy. Because man is formed in the image of God. So when you are loving your neighbor, you are loving that person, being, that's in the image of God. Now, remember the definition of mercy. This all ties to mercy. What's the definition of mercy? Mercy is a particular mode of love that when love encounters suffering, it takes action to do something about it. Now, what did God do when he saw the suffering of man? He did something about it. The gift of a mother the promise of a savior. You heard me say this before. So what did God do? Mercy is loving man the way God does. Mercy is having a particular mode of love that when you encounter suffering in your neighbor, you do something about it, just like God did when he saw our suffering after the fall. He did something about it. Sent a savior, gift of a mother. When you see the suffering of a neighbor. You're called to do something about it. That's why the last two weeks we've been talking about the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And so if you go on YouTube, you'll see we did our last Saturday talk on spiritual works of mercy. Before that was the corporal. Now, mercy is what you get when you put these two commands together. This is the whole essence of this passage. Now, it's important that we don't just pray, but we live our faith. All right. St. Paul says he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law and the commandments are what? Father, when it says follow the commandments, what ones are they? Jesus says, shall not commit adultery, shall not kill, not just the body, but somebody's reputation, gossip. You shall not steal, not just physical items, you shall not steal others' ideas. That's stealing. Or your time on your, uh, on, your pay, on your thing where you clock in and then you go on and have a half an hour of coffee and an hour of conversation and shooting the breeze, that's actually stealing from your employer. And the employer has to pay and is obligated to pay you a just wage. All right, you shall have, these are all the commandments listed and all others are summarized in one sentence. All of these, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not bear false witness. They're all wrapped into love your neighbor as yourself. So Thomas Aquinas says, when man is loved, God is loved because man is in the image of God. So our love of neighbor for God's sake, is clear proof that you love God. How can we go to church, profess our love for God, and then turn around and hate our neighbor? The scripture tells us if we do that, we're liars. And that's difficult because sometimes we have problems. So if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, the Bible says he's a liar. So we have to be aware of this. We have to see God's message. So to finish, be careful of the other extreme. You've heard me say this before. I can't emphasize it enough. Well, father, my son is a wonderful man. He doesn't believe in God. He hates the church. He doesn't go, he doesn't need the sacraments, but he's really a good person. I'm sure he is. I'm sure we all are on a, on a natural level. On the natural level, we can be very good people. On the natural level, we could not kill. We might not steal. We may not bear false witness. On the natural level, this is all good. But without God in the equation, it never rises above the natural level. And the natural level is temporary. It ends, it finishes. And if you haven't gone beyond that natural level to the supernatural, which can only come by loving and serving God through religion, that's the way God set it up, not us, then we're missing something. If we love man only for man's sake. Well, father, he doesn't go to church. He doesn't, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't want anything to do with the church. He hates it, but he's really good to his neighbor. Okay. If we love man only for man's sake, without any reference to God, kind of like the hippies. I've said that before. They wanted nothing to do with God, but boy, they wanted to make sure that that tree didn't get cut down. God bless them. I'm a tree hugger, too. But God is an important part of that equation. So if you have people who love each other, the love sit-ins and hippie communes, but there's no reference to God, there's no basis in God and morality, this love will actually become An obstacle and keeping the first commandment, because you forgot that. And then there's no longer a genuine love, even of your neighbor. Loving your neighbor without basis in God can only list, only exist for so long. This is not full. It's incomplete. It's inadequate. It's not enough. We need both. And this is the message. To love on the natural level is incomplete. We must love on the supernatural level. That's why I always laugh when Jesus told Peter, I'm going to the cross out of love for you. And Peter says, no way, Lord, you are not going to the cross. And Jesus looks at him, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking as God thinks, you're thinking as man thinks. I'm like, poor Peter, he was a man. So for Peter to be thinking like a man doesn't seem like too bad. Jesus was challenging him. You're on the the natural level, Peter. You got to get to the supernatural level. And you only do that with God's grace. And so it's not enough just to be a good person. A good person has to be rooted in love of God or it doesn't go anywhere. So what do you do? Remember mercy. The love of God put into action by loving your neighbor. Mercy brings both these commandments together. And that's the message of today's scripture passage. Without that, we can struggle all we want trying to solve these world's problems, trying to figure out what this action to take, what this action to take. You know, it's so funny because when I see those newscasters and God bless it, they're doing their job, I understand that, but they're collectively putting their heads together, trying to figure out ways to solve all these world's problems. Do you realize that if the world just came together and had the faith the size of a mustard seed, all of this given to God, prayed for and united as a people, look what happened in Nineveh. When Jonah went to Nineveh, they put on sackcloth and ashes and they repented and they they asked for God's forgiveness. And what did God do? He straightened it all out. He totally fixed everything. All he's asking of us is that we not control it as ourselves as God, but let him be God. And when we do that, we'll see a huge difference. All these world leaders, there's very few of them. There's a couple, but just call the people to prayer and repentance and you'll see a huge difference. It's not that difficult. If we could do it, and it starts right here with me, people at the shrine, even though most of our good Catholics are in the back. It starts with you watching this live stream. And it starts, don't forget, you're going to hear me keep harping on it, our works of mercy daily. Every day, do a work of mercy. And on Friday, what is today? Friday, a little work of penance. It's not that hard. Now, if you medically can't fast or whatever, okay. There's a lot of other things besides food we can fast from. A TV program, your cell phone, you know, internet. A lot of things that we can give up. We can give up a little sacrifice. Today's Friday. Let us do that. Do a work of mercy, corporal or spiritual. We can do that. We change the world one person at a time. And when we see the, the youth see us setting those examples, they'll follow. You know, I'll finish with this. I was, um, I went to, I was home in Michigan and uh, trying to help out with my parents. Again, thank you so much for your prayers. And um, I, I drove to a nearby church for confession. I needed it very badly because my father and I don't see eye to eye. on the care that my mom is needing for um, her health concerns. And and so I needed to go to confession. And I saw these two little children. It was a little boy and a little girl. And the mom brought them into confession. And the boy was probably like nine. The girl was probably like four, four or five. And I remember sitting there and I looked over at them. And the priest, they announced the priest was going to be about half an hour late. So we had to sit there for about half an hour waiting for the priest to come for confession. I wanted to say, hey, everybody, I'm a priest if you want to hear, if you need confession. But I figured they would be like, who is this guy, you know, wanting to hear our confession? So I sat there with the rest of them. And these two little children, this little boy and this little girl, they got up. And their mom was there next to me. And they got up. And the little girl asked her brother to take her up because we were outside the church in the vestibule. The doors were open and inside the church was the Blessed Sacrament. They had it there behind the altar. This was St. Andrews in Saline, Michigan. And we're sitting there and this little boy, this little girl, she's five. And she asked her big brother to walk her up to the tabernacle. So this little boy gets up, walks her to the tabernacle. They held hands. I wish I could have had a video of this. It would have been better than any video I have ever put out there. And this little girl, she's about this tall, and she's holding the hands of her big brother. And they walk up to the tabernacle. There's nobody in there. And she kneels down, this little boy and this little girl, and they kneel down, and they start praying before the Blessed Sacrament. I was like, you know what? There is hope. When you see that, that is the power of what a parent does. That little five-year-old and nine-year-old boy and girl have not experienced anything greater in their lives than whatever that parent did to instill that faith into that little boy and girl. That little girl did that on her own. The boy assisted her, walked her hand in hand up to that tabernacle And I'm watching them thinking, there's hope. This is a beautiful gift, a beautiful, beautiful gift that they have been given in their faith. And so we as parents, well, not me, but you guys as parents, me as spiritual father, have to make sure we do everything to instill that kind of faith. And based on their actions, I can promise you, I bet you they know right from wrong and the commandments of love God and love their neighbor. Because it was ex- personified or ex- example was given by their little actions there that day in the church. What a beautiful gift for me to see that and to be able to say, thank you, Lord, because we do have hope. We have hope through the commandments, loving you first and then our neighbor as ourself.
1: Are you a Marian helper?